0: One Conversations at the speed of sound.
1: The um, operator had to get in. Um, we had uh, a generator um, to give him light. We had a fan because it was um, uh, one, it was fairly warm in the time and secondly, it was um, in there there was no other air. He spent a day and a half in there, his knuckles were red raw, his shins were there, Uh, and as I said, there was well over a hundred bolts that he had to undo, none of which were easy, none of the bolts at any stage were easy, because they'd been there for that long and they'd sweated in.
0: Hello and welcome to this episode of MAC1, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. My name is Gary Hills, I am happy to say that I am a QAM volunteer. And I will be your host for this final of three episodes, focusing on the QAM Lockheed AP-3C Orion A9760. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke with Morris Ritchie, who, as a Royal Australian Air Force pilot, flew the Orions, and before that, the Neptunes then, you heard from uh, Peter Scovell, who was a flight engineer on the Orions, and from Chris Bewley, who was an aircraft technician. Today you're going to hear from uh, a QAM volunteer by the name of Ted Gray, who meticulously recorded in photographic and written form the process by which A9760, having arrived at uh, Maroochydore was dismantled, trucked to Caloundra, and then reassembled. Let me tell you a little bit about that story so that you have the facts straight. And all of this comes directly from the uh, the excellent history that has been compiled on the QAM website under Collections by QAM historian Ron Cuskelly, providing in great detail the provenance of this aircraft. Let me just read you the final part from that. Now in April of 2018, A9760 arrived at Sunshine Coast Airport, that's Maroochydore, from RAAF Edinburgh in South Australia. Now there had been a planned practice approach to Caloundra with a flypast over the Queensland Air Museum which had to be abandoned because of thunderstorm activity over Caloundra, much to the disappointment of the volunteers who had gathered at QAM to photograph the low flyover, which unfortunately was not to be. Uh, The aircraft flew on then to Marichidor, landed on runway 18 and shut down for the final time. On the 18th of April 2018 at 12.03 pm, with would you believe it, 14,400 pounds of fuel remaining in the wings. Now, by that time, the time of its final shutdown, the aircraft had 14,888.9 hours to its credit, having arrived in Australia in 1979. A couple of months later, after having been demilitarised by a crew from Airbus, A9760 was formally handed over to the Queensland Air Museum on the 11th of June 2018. Now, it wasn't until four months later, in October 2018, that the aircraft was finally able to be defueled, and the deconstruction could begin in earnest. And it was almost exactly a full year after that, So October 2019, when the engines and props arrived at QAM Caloundra, and about a week later, the fuselage arrived also, and the night following that, or the early hours of the following morning, the wings were delivered. Now all of the um, components of the aircraft were trucked to Caloundra by Clayton's Towing on semi-trailers, expertly driven by... Clayton's driver, Max Quaglio, an inspirational local legend who refuses to accept that cerebral palsy is a disability. A remarkable driver. Some somewhat remarkable in the same sense as my son Christopher, who as a 26-year-old equally refuses to accept that his cerebral palsy is a disability despite being quadriplegic. He is a very successful young man running a business and video editor. Christopher likes to say, disability my ass." But I digress. Um, five months after uh, delivery of uh, these components to the QAM in Caloundra, uh, so we're in March of 2020, a final load, consisting of the tail group, which had remained at Maroochydore, was moved to Caloundra. Six months after that, so we're now in September of 2020, the rear fuselage, the empennage and the magnetic anomaly detector boom, the tail stinger, were finally reattached and A9760 was intact. Now, for the next 20 or so minutes, you're going to hear from Ted Gray, who kept a record of this amazing process, and I caught up with him recently at the Queensland Air Museum. Well, I'm sitting in Hangar 2 at the Queensland Air Museum with uh, a gentleman by the name of Ted Gray, who is a QAM volunteer. G'day, Ted.
1: G'day, uh, Gary. Uh, happy to be here. Hey, eh? it's great with all these planes around. It's fantastic.
0: It's an excellent place to sit, isn't it? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a unique kind of a space to be in. And so I thought if we sat here, we could talk about our topic today, uh, which we will come to in a moment. But first of all, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Where are you from and what's your background?
1: Okay, originally a Queenslander, to my horror I had to spend over 50 years in Victoria, was able to escape about four and a half years ago, um, back up here and one of the things I did when I first got here was to become a member of the, uh, a volunteer at the uh, uh, Queensland Air Museum, the QAM. And what were you doing here as a volunteer? Well, there was very little I could do initially, apart from helping out selling raffle tickets and things like that. Um, But when the um, Orion project first came up, I uh, contacted a few of the people involved and asked if I could cover it to write the story and take the photographs of the Orion itself. They totally agreed, and I spent not quite the same time as the uh, volunteer crew who um, worked on the the, uh, aircraft, but... um, Nevertheless, I was there for a very long time up at uh, the um, the airport, the Sunshine Coast Airport, while, where the aircraft was initially, and then when it came down and rebuilt. So that was my involvement, uh, and basically really my only involvement till now with um, QAM. And you've provided us with a, a chronicle of a photographic record, pretty
0: much, haven't you, of the process by which... That aircraft was disassembled,
1: reassembled here. Uh, how many photos do you reckon you took? I totaled them up. Um, the ones that I've kept, and I've probably dumped a few, was around about 1,500 photos altogether. But a lot of them were, um, as with photography when you've got time, is take two or three from slightly different angles and so on. So uh, they weren't totally unique photos of 1,500 of, 1, of them.
0: And I know that in Hangar One at the QAM we have a, a rolling display of images on a big screen and part of that is the Orion and a number of photographs are there for our visitors to see. But you have a far more comprehensive record than that and I guess one of the challenges is how best to preserve and display that and that, that I guess will come in time. But you have gone to the trouble of producing a written account to a booklet with some of these photographs and it's that that I'd like to talk to you about today because that record is fascinating uh, to me. We're going to talk about the, uh, the process whereby this Lockheed Orion was flown from Edinburgh in South Australia to the Maroochydore Sunshine Coast Airport and then how it got <laughs> 35 kilometres away, roughly, to the Queensland Air Museum. So let's talk about that story. So, Ted, uh, in 2018, I think it was, they flew into Maroochydore. Why did they fly there instead
1: of to Caloundra Airport? Uh, well, basically the plane was, um, the aircraft was too big, too heavy um, and not only that, the uh, it's a light air um, airport at uh, Caloundra and uh, even if they'd been able to put the plane down, um, we couldn't have got it across the road without demolishing uh, a whole series of buildings, telephone lines, you name it, um, and it just wasn't practical.
0: And I think even as it was, getting into Maroochydore, they had to take down part of the perimeter fence to, to, to park it somewhere didn't they?
1: Yeah well initially we weren't allowed to uh, store it on the uh, tarmac um, at the airport and uh, uh, we put down a, uh, a our own hard standing area outside of that to allow us to do all the preliminary work and that's uh, that was again the fence came down, the plane was um, towed out and um, you know all the preliminary work was done and that was actually a part that I actually missed physically because I wasn't there at the time. But that was when the rain came. And the hard standing area um, stood up to it, but access to it was such that our vehicles were bogged and had to be pulled out by four-wheel drives. Uh, the uh, crew were wearing gumboots <laughs> to go to work. Uh, I'm glad I missed that bit,
0: <laughs> <laughs> So this is 2019.
1: Yes, earlier that that year. Um, there was an open day for the um, members to go up and climb all over it on that outside hard standing area. Um, and it was an interesting time because what was being done was um, there was a whole lot of guys doing lots and lots of work but very hard to see exactly what they were doing because what they were doing was to remove... A whole series of panels to be able to disconnect all the wires, leads, hoses, you name it, um, so that the part could happen. And the other main thing that happened there was the the flush of the uh, fuel tank. Now this
0: fine. is interesting. Yes, let's let's talk about the fuel tank in one moment yeah. because that's a great part of this story. It was fascinating. I'd never even heard of this before. Did the RAAF? Uh, I, I presume they removed anything from it that they wanted or didn't want anybody to know about. Would that be right?
1: As far as I know, it was um, clean skinned when we got it. Yes.
0: And did the did the RAAF assist with this at all, or was it entirely over to you? Uh,
1: they basically left it all to us. They did supply very, very comprehensive uh, drawings, instructions and so on and um, they also supplied subsequently the uh, the cradles on which the aircraft stood. So these are cradles for the, the engines and for the, the fuselage? Yeah, basically, uh, obviously um, things like the wings had to be supported um, for removal, you couldn't just undo them and let them drop. So, uh, yeah, they were the, the specific cradles for it. So let's talk about why, why
0: would you... I mean, obviously, you have to drain the fuel tank. I can understand you don't want fuel in it. But why would you have
1: to flush the tank out? What was its role in this whole process? Well, that actually came a bit later because um, to remove the wings, um, the... Outside of the fuel tank where the wings were was actually the seal of the fuel tank. So to get at the bolts uh, holding the wings on, um, the guys had to get into the fuel tank and uh, undo the bolts from inside. And fairly obviously you wouldn't want to have gas uh, fumes in there while guys were spending two or three days working. And how big are these tanks? (laughs) Not very big. The guys in there, uh, I christened them the human pretzels. (laughs) and uh, they really were because inside the fuel tank were a whole heap of struts supporting it so they had to work in and around and some we're jumping ahead a bit to taking the wings off but some of the um, the bolts were incredibly tight and difficult after 20 30 years or whatever it was of being in place and had to be knocked out with sledgehammers And you didn't have a big round of swing room there and uh, it was a very painstaking job to get those bolts undone so the wing could come off.
0: I think I read in your booklet that there is something like a 50 centimetre high space within the tank or something and no more than that, is that right?
1: It wouldn't have been much more than that, obviously. uh, um, I'm trying to think... And I'm not sure whether I've put it down in record, but I think it was probably around about two, two and a half metres square, by as you say about 15, uh, 50 centimetres high. Uh, with struts going um, cross and crisscrossing, so the guys had to get in and around, um, and be able to whack these very hard to remove bolts. Um, I'm glad I didn't have a microphone in there because some of the language might have been quite interesting and not for a <laughs> Well, we could
0: always give a language warning. Uh, I'm sure that was colourful. I don't suppose anybody, it's a silly question in a way, but anybody kept track of how many actual bolts had to be undone and re- reconnected?
1: Uh, the answer was yes, there was, but I don't have that record. Um, on another area, which we can come to later on, I know there were well over 100 bolts Uh, just the one assembly, and all of them were difficult to remove, and they were another difficult area.
0: So what did you do with the bolts? How did you get them out when they were jammed?
1: Right. Now, that was, again, um, the leading guy on the the aircraft um, at that stage was uh, Bruce Small, and everything that was removed was ticketed and put in little plastic bags which were numbered and the numbers related to the area that they went in because they weren't all the same size. It was a marvelous effort uh, um, the way it was all done. so when it was came to be replaced, we knew what bolt was going in where. Were you able
0: to replace the original bolts? I guess some of them had to be drilled out and had to be uh, you'd have to find new ones to replace them, were they?
1: Well some of them were and uh, because the aircraft was never going to be uh, flyable, um, we won't tell anyone in the public and we won't tell anyone here, no one's listening to us now, so uh, there were a few that weren't replaced at all. <laughs> That's right. So let's, let's say you get these
0: bolts off from a section that has to be uh, removed, is, the, is that the end of the story, once the bolts are off can it then be moved away or are there more challenges
1: than that? Well, apart from one area, and I'd like to come back to the uh, Empelage, uh, which is the tail fin assembly. Um, no, once they were done, um, it was a matter of then a bit of manipulation because these things had been sealed, obviously. The seals had to be broken. Uh, a bit of manipulation by the, uh, the crane or the fork truck, whichever was being used, to actually break the... Uh, Uh, the necessary components away from the uh, aircraft they could then easily be removed
0: Now this whole process is taking months, like it's I think February through to October 2019 How often were you guys out there was it every, wasn't every day I'm sure
1: Twice a week um, up at and it was twice a week up there, except on occasions where it had to be done in a hurry because there were bits that needed to be properly removed, couldn't be left dangling.
0: So you're removing them in a certain order because there's a logical and safe way yes. to do that. And when you remove a large component, how do you
1: store it or do you move it, re- relocate it to Caloundra immediately? It uh, depends on the components. Uh, when the engines were removed, they are actually, by that stage when the engines were removed, we were able to get back onto the tarmac at the airport proper and the uh, authorities gave us access to a very large hangar and workshop, which was fantastic. We couldn't. I don't think we could have done without it. Um, so all the engines were stored until they were ready to go on the truck and brought back down to Caloundra.
0: Well, kudos to the Sunshine Coast Airport Authority for being so cooperative about a thing like
1: this because I'm sure they would be very happy to have it off their property as soon as possible. Well, once we got to that stage, they made sure we got it off very quickly and uh, the lasting memory was the wings and the fuselage on very, very large Clayton's um, uh, long loaders driving out from the airport and the tarmac was suddenly clear there was only a few accessories that needed to come from the hangar hey goodbye sunshine coast airport <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i believe they were trucked down the nicklin way that must have made for quite a spectacle well i was able to stop um at Kowana because it was going through the big shopping complex there um uh, to take a photo of this whopping big thing um, following and being followed by uh, pilot uh, um, vehicles. Uh, And, I don't know, it just seemed to happen. The traffic wasn't... You couldn't really pass the aircraft because it was wide enough that it was blocking off a couple of lanes. But uh, it kept moving very, very well. It had to stop at traffic lights. They weren't police controlled. Um, The driver did a brilliant job. And uh, when he got here to the um, museum area, he had to come in from a narrow street in through a narrow gate with this huge long trailer behind him, not a scratch, not a scratch, Um, and brought it in and obviously uh, the cranes were waiting so they unloaded it.
0: Volunteering can be good for your physical health and mental well-being. Get active and get involved with interesting tasks, significant and important projects and meet new people by joining the volunteers at the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. We're all volunteers here. Whether it's in our restoration workshops and our aero engine shop, restoring and maintaining airframes and engines, as well as our grounds and buildings, or in our library, boasting one of the largest and most significant collections of RAAF materials in Australia, with tens of thousands of items to be catalogued, administered and cared for, or on our front counter, providing excellent customer service to our visitors, there's a place for you. It could be one day a week or seven. We will train you and equip you for the area that suits you best. Get in touch through our website. We would love to hear from you. Become a volunteer at the Queensland Air Museum, Caloundra. Unless you get a sense of how big this aircraft is, um, I don't think it... Sinks in what a mammoth task you know this has been. Now let's go back again a, a fraction to to where we were with the disassembly. How, what happened with the propellers? Were they removed separately?
1: Um, three of them were. Why three with a four-engine? The four engine, uh, three were removed and um, put in st- on the truck. The fourth one stayed on the engine, and the reason was that that particular engine um, was there was only one correct cradle to hold an engine with the propeller Um, so the engine and its propeller and why bother moving a propeller when you didn't have to was less one less job to be done Um, and that was a lovely cradle so the cradle and all and the other three uh, uh, engines subsequently came down the propellers were taken down quite earlier
0: and you're using cranes or forklifts how are you raising and
1: lowering these loads uh, it depends, obviously, on the um, uh, the unit. Um, cranes for the big ones. Um, Universal cranes guys were unbelievably cooperative, and um, the uh, otherwise it was the forklift with um, uh, a lot of it was um, uh, with a cage get that goes up so they can get access to it um, with the wings. Um, the, uh, they were on their cradles, which were on wheels. So once they were disassembled, they could be pulled sideways. Now the first one didn't have a lot of room with the, between it and the fence, and uh, the fork truck had real problems. So we solved the problem very easily, the second one. We just hooked up one of the guys' four-wheel drives with a rope and towed it out. <laughs> so And uh, it, it, it worked, and it was obviously because the um, tarmac was very smooth and very level it was very easy to do. From there it was uh, lifted off the cradle onto a truck and subsequently and the cradles were brought back separately here because obviously it had to be put back on the cradle when we got back here.
0: Now I believe the empennage, the tail assembly, the tail section presented some challenges, uh, a number of them. Can you tell us about that process?
1: That was probably the most, one of the most difficult things I've ever seen in my life in any context. It, the access was through a small um, hole in the bottom of the uh, empolage. The, um, the bolts had to be done from within the empelage because the uh, bulkhead on the aircraft was solid. So it had to be unbolted from there. The um, operator had to get in. Um, we had uh, a generator... Um, to give him light we had a fan because it was um, uh, one it was fairly warm in the time and secondly it was um, in there there was no other air he spent a day and a half in there his knuckles were red raw, his shins were there Um, and as I said there was well over a hundred bolts that he had to undo, none of which were easy none of the bolts at any stage were easy because they'd been there for that long and they'd sweated in So uh, now having a Finally, got it to break away. It was then put on a cra- or lifted by the crane and put on a a cradle beside the aircraft. From there, um, the aircraft was then towed back onto the tarmac, and the empennage was sitting there on its own glory. In its own glory. Subsequently, when we tried to um, remove it, now this was watching the guys trying to work out if you put the tailplanes along the um, uh, the low loader the fin stuck up too high to transport if you tried to lay the fins down uh, the fin down the uh, tailplane stuck out too far on the side the fin had to be removed under the um, all the necessary bolts drilled out the rivets went to lift it and they found that there were six rivets that weren't on the drawing <laughs> so back down again about that time they got all the The uh, rivets undone and the bolts undone. Went to lift it, and this was getting lateish in an afternoon, and the wind got up to over forty knots, which precludes um, a crane lifting anything, because you can imagine this very large tailplane swinging around, people trying to hold it and guide it. We'd have had half a dozen. operators probably being battered into the next suburb. So the the crane operator is quite justified. they said, right. So we left it there um, and continued on with the other work. Um, We, I think from memory, and I'm pretty sure my memory's good enough, the whole of the aircraft was brought down and got in here the day before COVID restrictions came in which means that the airport, was, um, the museum was closed down, uh, our operators couldn't go back to um, uh, Caloundra. So the thing sat there for a couple of months, went back up again subsequently and uh, tried to uh, lift it, and it still didn't lift. What wasn't shown on the drawing, and what wasn't until we lifted it up enough for vision, was that there were about five um, angle irons Quite long, probably um, three quarters of a metre, um, going from the top of the uh, tail fin down into the body of the empalage and because it was quite impossible to give a straight vertical lift, you'd get several of them free and one of them would jam. Okay, the final solution: angle grinder, chop off the uh, the the one that was jamming. So eventually, 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 the. Two components of the omplades, the fins and the, uh, uh, the, tail, the tail planes, were put on trucks and brought back down here, um, which would be finally be able to be re- reassembled. And putting it back together was a bit more straightforward? Most of the time, yes. Um, a lot of it, um, uh, because we knew what we were doing, the only thing I can recall that really was a problem was putting the um, uh, the port wing on which went on first and the um, hard standing area we had was, um, uh, it was pretty good in fact considering we had to do it ourselves and so on but it wasn't quite flat and it wasn't quite level the cradles were very big and very heavy with great big um, iron wheels which didn't turn easily so we got the port wing in and uh, most of the bolts done up But no matter what we did, there was probably about a centimetre and a half gap at the leading edge that bolts wouldn't pull it up. Uh, And with a lot of fiddling, what was done was they actually twisted the wing slightly by dropping the nose um, uh, jack down a bit and um, moving the the cradle up and down and round until it finally just slotted into place. The... um, What we learnt from that of course meant that the port wing, um, they were able to get it on pretty easily. Uh, Most of the rest of it was really uh, again getting into fiddly areas and getting bolts to attach and all those sort of things. Um, So really putting it together was a lot of solid work but not really very many problems. Now
0: you mentioned the shutdown with COVID and so on, and that delayed the process. But I believe it was between November 2019 and September 2020 that reassembly process. So it took almost almost a year with those shutdowns in the middle. So it was still a huge task, wasn't it? You talk about that tail assembly. Um, sitting there by itself at the, at the Door airport on the grass, I think, wasn't it, yes. uh, outside the fence. I saw a Google Maps photograph of that airport taken, I think, about 2020, or it must have been 2019 now, I guess. And you could clearly see this huge tail <laughs> sitting on the grass there all by itself, and, and that was the Orion's tail. Why, now that it's all assembled and it's on display and it's being maintained and it's a magnificent... You know, it's a magnificent thing.
1: Why is it all grey? Right. Well, it used not to be. um, The Air Force, um, when they were in the Middle East um, conflict, I'm not sure which one, but they were there, um, the aircraft actually um, of that squadron were all given names. Um, Our name was Brooke, um, and they were fairly brightly painted. Um, The um, Chimera... um, no-go on the tailplane, was um, very clear, um, along with the Air Force rondelles and all the other things, quite bright. And the Air Force suddenly thought, well, hey, we're making ourselves a nice target. So it was everything was um, removed from there um, and uh, painted uh, a very nondescript grey. Um, the Logo, the Chimera logo is there, but very indistinct. And if you looked at the, uh, its earlier brother, the Neptune, here, you'll see that the uh, uh, same uh, Chimera logo was there, but um, it's, it's bright black and white. So um, that was just one of those things that the Air Force uh, decided and where it is now is the way it was. It hasn't been not looked after or anything of that nature. So it's not a
0: primer coat, it's actually the way it would have been in, in service, in operation in the Middle East. Oh,
1: the way we got it was absolutely operational, yes.
0: Tell us a little bit about this Chimera, the the logo. What, what It's a strange looking thing, isn't it? Uh, what does that
1: display? Right, well I admit to being wrong on that. Um, I've been a scuba diver for many, many years, seen quite a number of sharks and seen films of sharks and so on. And... When I saw this, it looked like a shark, but it had an exceptionally long tail, which I had never seen. And uh, I got on to um, the historian of the uh, the squadron um, that, that, that did or that flew these planes, and apparently the chimera is a uh, a very deep water shark. Um, so that's why it threw me a little bit, I've never been that deep. Uh, and uh, of course the spear was the concept of the aircraft downing the submarines or whatever. So that's the, the logo. It's a, it's a wonderful
0: uh, image, you know, it it's, uh, really draws your attention. But of course it's a dull, as you say, a dull black on the dull grey as part of the, uh, the livery for a purpose, for a reason. Um, I believe it was early 2021 that uh, the Orion was open to the public uh, or, or was fully on display for the public. So it's been there now for just over a year. We're recording in the middle of 2022. Um, is uh, it, What's the future for it? Is there more to be done
1: or is it pretty much as it needs to be now? now the last I heard, they were uh, hooking up some uh, electrics that they could run a bit more of the electrical gear of the wiring and so on, Um, the very last thing they were able to do was actually open the bomb bay doors because um, they had to have the hydraulics working. They could open them. couldn 't close it without the hydraulics,
0: and uh, I believe there was some suspicion that it may have been full of rubbish or you wouldn 't have known what
1: was in there well that 's correct Be- mainly because a couple of the other aircraft were and when they opened it, the guys underneath got rather showered with a lot of rubbish as you say um, but ours was beautifully clean and uh, its uh, it was quite a, a display and we had these um, our photograph of the uh, a few of the crews standing there. Um, no bombs dropping on them, which would probably be a good thing. That's the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, Ted. This has been fascinating.
0: I, I once uh, disassembled and tried to reassemble and uh, restore a Series 2 Land Rover from 1959, and my strongest memory of the entire process is not just bolts that would not undo, but a row of bolts that you could undo, and then there was always one or maybe two <laughs> And they would not. And so do you have an enduring memory from this whole huge process of, of the
1: relocation of the Orion? Well, the one thing that we didn't cover was uh, when putting the um, empelage back on, um, had to get onto the top of the aircraft and um, the scaffolding was built on each side coming over the top. And um, to get from one side to the other was just walking across the top of the aircraft. And there is a, unless it's faded away now, there was a beautiful image of a boot right on the top of the aircraft. I don't think anyone of the the public is likely to come across this. So, uh, but that was quite an interesting experience in itself. To answer your question, Probably the, the one I come back to was the actual undoing of all the bolts um, to separate the ampellage and the other area was the difficulty in just getting that tailplane off the uh, Ampelage um, assembly.
0: The Orion is not normally open because uh, at this point we don't have quite enough guides on duty all of the time to open all of the aircraft. But on open cockpit weekends I know that uh, the plan is to have the Orion open. It was open at the last engine run day and some of the guys who are still maintaining the display make a point of being here conducting tours inside the aircraft and it's the most fascinating space in there it's uh, it's it's huge isn't it like there's room to maneuver it's quiet it's uh, insulated and so uh, keep an eye on the uh, QAM website for news about when our next open cockpit or engine alive day will be chances are if you make it down here somebody will be able to take you into the Orion and show you around possibly someone who served in that particular aircraft as well Ted, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you, mate. Well, I mean, I know we've only scratched the surface, but it was only meant to be just a quick summary of a very large job,
1: a job well done, and you must be proud. Look, I was proud and excited. It was a boy's toy to me. I love <laughs> aircraft, um, and uh, I've never been able to fly one, but uh, just as, as you say, this huge aircraft, to watch it being pulled into every single component, put on trucks, brought down here, and put it... It was fabulous to be able to cover that. And as I said, with 1,500 photographs, um, a written story on it, Great, great, great uh, excitement, Gary.
0: This has been great, Ted. Thank you.
1: My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Uh, reliving the memory. Thanks, Gary.
0: So that's our episode. Thank you for listening. Next week you're going to hear excerpts from a visit that uh, the Queensland Air Museum recently hosted of some 150 to 200 scouts who came for their air activities activities weekend and they did all kinds of things and it was just wonderful to have them as part of the uh, air museum that weekend including sleeping in the hangar uh flying aircraft flying drones building aircraft and uh flying simulators all kinds of things so you're going to hear about their event next week i just wandered around and captured some of their perspectives and some of their stories and i found it fascinating and i hope you will too So don't forget, the Queensland Air Museum is open from 10am to 4pm every day, except Christmas Day and Easter Friday. And we would love to meet you. Come in and see us soon. Bye for now.